I think that word there is some... Sorry, it's just... It's, it's dribbling deeper in me. Excuse the expression. It's just finding places. Because I've got a very good friend leading a church at the moment and it's a church that's known for its um, history and revival it's produced various worship leaders nationally known it's produced lots of bible teachers and every time he tells them or he suggests something they go been there done that you don't need to tell us how to do it And of course, what he's bringing is not what they think he's bringing, because he's bringing fresh revelation to move them on, not back to where they were 30 years ago. I actually think that's what we've been through. I think a lot of people thought they knew what I was talking about. They assumed I knew what I was talking about. I mean, that's dangerous in the first place. <laughs> but, because um, St. Leonard's has been there, isn't it? Done it, got the T-shirt, had 400 youth, or whatever, however many. Every time I, I hear it's 4,000 4, youth on a Sunday night or something, I don't know, 600 people and 4,000 youth. Is that for Sunday evening service? No? Ian King was with us a few last week, week before. The Lord is humbling the church. The Lord is humbling the church. Because if we're not humble, we won't rely on him. Been there, done it, got the t-shirt, know how to do that? Yeah. Do you know how to do it now? When we first introduced stronghold teaching, all that stuff, endorse it the half a dozen people I thought would lap it up hated it because it didn't sound like John Wimber in the vineyard but when I spoke to people from the vineyard they loved it because it sounded like John Wimber and the vineyard plus the next step and we all get stuck my constant prayer for me is Lord, don't, don't let me be the person that, I, that annoyed me when I was 25. No, now I'm 50. Or when I'm 70. Don't let me be the person that annoyed me when I was 25. Because I won't listen and I won't change and I won't move. Thank you for being here, those of you over. Because you clearly want to hear and want to move. But we all get stuck. And of course, what was radical 10 years ago is normal now. You, those of you that are, not, are relatively new into church, whether because you're very young indeed, or you haven't been in church for a long time, if you want to see what a good, charismatic, renewed service was like 30 years ago, come to the 8.30. Because that's what it was like, wasn't it? A little bit of liturgy. Careful, we can't take it all out. A couple of modern songs, a couple of words, a couple of... That's what it was like. You know? But that feels quite 
straight now, doesn't it? There's nothing wrong with it, it just feels straight. Where what we do here is radical, isn't it? No. Let's go to Soul Survivor Watford. Let's go to the churches that are really on the edge. And present, present company accepted. We would all feel very, very old. Because it, it's beyond where we are. But culturally, that's what we've got to stop and think. The Lord is humbling his church. He's really humbling his church. Lord, I need, I need 200 people to take Cheshire boys for the gospel. No, you don't. You need 150. No. Okay, I need 150. No, you don't. You need 100. Do you know how many people started the work that took the, took the gospel into the whole world? 11. Would you be willing for the church to go to 11? I'm challenging myself. Would you be willing for the church to go to 11? So I can hear the archdeacon in my ear already. What have you done? We say it's not about numbers, but when the numbers aren't there, by heck it is, isn't it? But it's not, but it is, but it's not. Hmm. Shall I preach what's on here? Would that help? I'm doing two, doing two separate things but I promise you they will come together at the end, okay? So we'll do the first one, and then we'll pause it, and then we'll do the second one. And if you're following the first, if you followed the first one well, you'll begin to see where it fits in the second one, eventually. Have we got scriptures? Did you find me green piece of paper, yellow piece of paper? Yes. Thank you. Matthew 12. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. There's more in there. That's good. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now, if you look back in Matthew 12, we're not going to look back, but I promise you it's the context of judgment. Jesus is bringing words of judgment. And it's clear that the people, individual and corporate, are going, are missing the point. So back to verse 43 if we can. Sorry, yeah, there you go. So this is what Jesus then says. He's talking to a group of people who are missing the point. Or is he talking to the to Israel who are missing the point or is he talking to the Pharisees who are missing the point or is he talking to the nation who are missing the point the answer of course is yes 
And the whole point with this short passage is it can be taken on so many different levels. An impure spirit. What does that mean? Well, if you could see the Greek, it would help. Honest, it would. Maybe not the Greek written in Greek letters, but the Greek written in Roman letters, so you could see the word, because it's daimonion. It's the word we normally translate, demon. So when a demon leaves a person, what do we normally call that? Talk to me. An exorcism, a deliverance. When a demon leaves a person, is it, and again, the Greek there is the word ekbalo. It's the, the, the root word we get the word ballistics from. So it's, the leaving isn't just a, oh, I think I'll go now. It's, it's an expulsion with energy. It's a, it's a throwing out. When the demon is, leaves, is delivered, is expelled from a person... An individual. This is an individual, isn't it? He's talking about. Here, it's an individual. It goes through arid places. Now, what is an arid place to a demon isn't necessarily an arid place to us. Because we think, arid, as soon as we say the word phrase arid places, you think desert, don't you? But an arid place to a demon is somewhere full of God. Because to a demon, that's the arid place. Where's the place of plenty for a demon? Probably in a church. Uh, sorry, in somewhere where there is sin. Yeah, probably in a church then. <laughs> but it's in... It's not just in non-believers. It's all of us that might sin from time to time. Oops. But the fact that Jesus... I'm going to go wander, sorry. Excuse my back. Um, the fact that Jesus is saying that leaving a person means that the demon is going to go to an arid place seems to suggest that around this person are godly places that are going to be arid for the demon. Because what's the demon looking for? Don't look at me, look at the scripture. The, the, the vicar hasn't got all the answers. Well, most of them, not all of them. Wants rest? He wants rest? And the arid place is a place of torment. So it can't be the desert, can it? Because that's the place of the demon. That's the demon's natural habitat. It, the word arid there suggests a spiritually dry place. Not just a water dry place. But not a God spiritually dry place. Just a place where the demon cannot find. Somewhere to rest. When Jesus sent the 
demons out of the demonia, the garrisoned demonia. Where did he send them? Into the pigs. They, they had to go somewhere. When we deal with the demonic influences, where do we send them? Under the feet of Jesus. Essentially, we're sending them under his authority and he will deal with them. They are defeated. They're crushed under his heel. But here he's saying that there goes out and wanders. Can you imagine a demon wandering around not causing trouble? Sort of nature, isn't it? So the demon is in these arid places, these godly places, causing trouble. But he can't find rest. Any of you dealt with demons in prayer appointments? Yeah, all of us, I think. So demons have gone from us and are wandering arid places. Have we cleaned this place out of various things? But it wanders around, looking for somewhere to rest. So, I was about to go back there, which I wouldn't have found my son because he's here. Of course, for a, anything to find rest, it's got to find a place it can dwell. It's got to find a place it feels safe. You tried resting when you don't feel safe? Those of you who work in this area, have you you've got people who don't feel safe in their own homes? And the one thing they aren't is rested. Because you can't rest. So the demons isn't stupid. And what Jesus gives us here is an insight into a demonic thought process. It's actually quite handy. Because if Jesus says this is how demons think, then... This is how demons think. And the demon says, Oh, I know what. I'll go back to where I came from. It was nice there. I felt safe. I felt at rest. I'll go back. I'll go back to the house I left. We once did a prayer appointment for someone. We were doing their original design. We had a picture of a house and blah, blah, blah. And then we discovered afterwards their maiden name had been House. So the whole image of a house being the person, for them, that really was true. Because their surname was House. So we thought we were being clever using an image. Just their name. You know, it's like, great. But here, already, Jesus is... Do you see the image is... is Growing a bit. It's a person and now it's a house. Is the house the person? Yes. Is the person the house? Yes. But also the house is slightly bigger than the person, isn't it? it, it's a, it suddenly the image has got a bit bigger. And the demon's going back. Now, of course, if we're born again... That is the ultimate deliverance. And we cannot be lived in by a demon anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't take lodgers. You know, 
He's the sole occupant. Well, him and Jesus and the Father, which of course is a sole occupancy. All three of them make a sole occupancy because they are one. And when we're, de- when we're born again, that, did you realize that is deliverance ministry? When people say oh, you're, you're, you're preoccupied with deliverance ministry, yes. Do you know why? Because I'm preoccupied with wanting people to come to Christ. And I want to see them delivered from the clutches of the evil one and from the world and from sin and from the destination that is hell. So if I'm besotted with or focused on deliverance ministry, it's because I want to see the kingdom come. Thank you for all those who laughed at the jokes on Leonard last week. A friend, a friend who was visiting was said, was there a few in-jokes there? <laughs> Possibly. And once we told him what had been going on, he sort of got the jokes afterwards. Bless him. Being born again means you have been cleaned out. You've been put in order. And the Spirit is present. But let's go back to that diagram we use in Living in Freedom of body, soul and spirit. When you're born again, where does the Spirit, where does the Holy Spirit come and dwell? In you, but in which bit? Body, soul or spirit? In your spirit. Your spirit is born again. That's why we use the phrase born again, because your spirit is where life is, so you're born. But when the Spirit of God comes and dwells in you, you are born again, because your spirit, which is dead within you, becomes alive. So at the moment you're born again, your spirit is indwelt, And your psyche, your mind and your emotions and your language and your memory and everything in your life is now perfect and we don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah? You you all struggle with stuff, do you? I thought when you were born again, that was it. You didn't have to do anything else. Is that all right? If only, eh? (laughs) But how long have we lived like there was nothing else to do? I've heard several times, well, I'm born again, I read my Bible, what's the problem? Because there's other stuff, isn't there? There's other stuff in you that's trauma, that's, that's old tapes and habits that are just, they die hard. They just take a long time to change. And that's not because God can't, but because we won't. Oh, but I want to. I know you want to, but you still won't. Come on, how many addicts have you worked with how many people have you worked with in trauma who want to change but it's difficult you find yourself recidivizing doing it again going back to old habits you get yourself in the position where you're surrounded by people doing the thing that you used to do and you don't want to do it because you're joining and then you go and see your counselor or whatever and go I did it again the great thing is you go to God and go I did it again he says, what do you mean again? Because he's forgiven what was passed completely and it, for him it's not again, which is wonderful. And you go, I'm sorry. He goes, it's all right, come on, let's move on. He doesn't brush the sin away because it cost him everything in Jesus. But it's okay because you're his child, so he picks you up and off you go again. 
How many chances do you have with God? One, two, three strikes and you're out? Again and 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 again. To the moment he goes, I'll come home before you cause any more trouble, you know. And then when you get home, you go, because your soul and your body are now perfect. You don't have to struggle. But this demon goes back. And the place it finds is swept clean, born again, put back in order, but empty. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling there, but empty. And it's not the Spirit, it's the, because the, the, the demon can't come back to your spirit. The demon can come back to your soul. And if the Holy Spirit isn't sanctifying that part of your soul, then the demon can latch on again. The demon can never indwell you, but the demon can latch on again. You can be oppressed, not possessed. Next one, Paul. No, 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 sorry. Next bit of that one. Sorry, that's all right. That's the second half of the sermon, that one, again. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits. Because it's found the door unlocked. Now the place is swept and clean. Wonderful. Pass inspection by the owners, you know. But. 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 It's not full. Doors aren't locked. The enemy can still get in. So the demon says, I wish I could whistle. You know. Party time. In they go. Every time we do an alpha type course, every time someone comes to faith, they're in danger of this happening. Because it's our job just to bring them to Christ, isn't it? He'll get on and do the rest of it for, with, for them, won't he? Well, that's what church is about, isn't it? We're to go to the nations to make converts. No? To make disciples. We're to make disciples. And is, is being a disciple easy? Is being a Christian easy? Absolutely, because it's a free gift. But being a disciple is disciplined. It takes work. It's not legalistic, it's not keeping the rules, but it's being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's submitting to the hand of the Lord. It's being obedient to the voice of... I mean, how many images do you want from the New Testament? And every single image is an image of, as a, of us responding to God. Not him just doing it for us. Sorry. Fed up with this Calvinism that's around. Ultra Calvinism that's around. That just says, oh, we just let go and let God and everything will be fine. Get, 
No, sorry. God has a plan. Yes, God is in charge. Absolutely. God is calling us to respond and be obedient. There you go. There's your free will. Seven of his mates come in. And it's so much worse. And it's so much worse. The final condition of that person is worse than the first. And then Jesus flips it again. The final condition of that person, and this is how it will be with this wicked generation. Suddenly he's gone multiple from the single to the multiple. It's gone from a person to a house to a person to a generation. So which one does he mean? Both. So, when we clean out a person, they need to be filled and transformed. When we clean out a church, fellowship, it needs to be filled when a nation is changed, when a generation is changed, when a culture is changed. You with me? Got it? Pause. End of part one. Okay, pause. We get this dynamic, yeah? I want to introduce you to an Old Testament word. The word is shedim. It's not a word that you would know necessarily. necessarily. You know what I mean. Shedim. S-H-E-D-I-M. And if you've done any Hebrew, you will know the I-M bit on the end, as in Elohim is plural. Shedim. These are beings, spiritual beings. Glasses on that act violently, destroy, devastate, and lay waste to. What I just defined. Demons. And actually, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was done around Jesus' time, accept you again. Every time the word shedim comes up, it's translated daimonium. Deuteronomy 32, 17. They sacrificed to shedim, which are not gods. Sorry, which are not God. Shedim they had not known. Shedim that recently appeared. Shedim your ancestors did not fear. That's quite a long way back, Deuteronomy. But the Shedim are the false gods. And the Greek translation translates it daimonium. Hmm. Hmm. False gods. We got all of Psalm 106. Lovely. I'm going to read the whole of Psalm 106, but we're going to focus on two verses. But I, I like reading Psalms. It's good. 
Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favour to your people. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your... Anyway, moving on. We're not here for that now. When you show favour to your people, come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in your joy of the nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned, even as our ancestors did, we've done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, dried it up. It's one of those psalms that just rehearses the history. He dried it up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. Now, the foe and the enemy are people. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed in his promises and sang his praises. But they soon forgot what he had done, and he did not wait for his plan to unfold. And in the desert they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness they put God to the test. <coughs> Where are we going? Sorry? What event's coming? Sorry? The golden calf. That's the phrase I'm looking for. The golden calf. Where are we? So he gave them what they asked for. He sent a wasting disease among them. In the camp they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. And then this whole thing. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. Fire, fire blazed among their followers. A flame. It's going well for them, isn't it? What have they done wrong? God, we just read it. Don't, don't go back. Stay where we are. But what have they done wrong? They forgot. They forgot. That's what they did wrong. They forgot. Because you forget and you don't. Yeah? You forget to put the recycling bin out. You have a lot of recycling on your front for three weeks. You forget and the consequences happen. Next one. At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull. I'm arguing with somebody recently. They said, no, it, no, it was a calf. It wasn't a bull. It was a, do you know what it was? It was a bull calf. <laughs> it's fine. Was it a calf or was it a bull? Yes. Which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who'd done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. They despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness, make their descendants fall through the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless Shedim. They aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds. A, a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness. Oh, that's an interesting phrase from the New Testament again, isn't it, that Paul uses? For endless generations to come, by the waters of Meribah, they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. He, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. What happened? What happened? 
this syncretism came in, this, they didn't look different to everybody else. They just adopted the culture around them. They worshipped their shedding, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to shedding. This is the followers of Yahweh who sacrificed their sons and daughters to Baal, Asherah, Molech, Raphael. Because that's what the Canaanites did. That's what the Phoenicians did. That's what the Sidonians did. That's what everybody around them was doing. So they joined in. How much of a church, as a church, do we just join in with what's happening around us? Because we don't upset anybody. And if you don't join in, by heck, you upset everybody. Noticed? 30 years ago, we didn't upset people with these things. Because the culture was different. It's changed. We need to wake up. It's harder now. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, and they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did, by their deeds they prostituted themselves. Therefore the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations, and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. The Lord humbled the nation. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress, and he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. He caused all who had them captive to show them mercy. Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give, you thank, may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, and... These are the false gods that Israel sacrificed their children to. I'm not looking at you lot, I promise. But how many of us have sacrificed our children to the God of success? To the God of academic achievement? To the God of you must get a proper job? You must have a career? Go on, go on. No, go on, go for the law. Go for civil engineering. Go, for, go, go, go. Push, 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 push. We'll get you a tutor to get you into that school. Why? Every teacher will tell you a, a child that's been tutored to get into the school will struggle because the tutor's not sitting next to them in the class next year. It doesn't work. But we've pushed. Because we want the best for our kids. Good heart. Ouch. How many of us sacrificed our families because we needed to be at the office longer, make more money? So we go on those longer holidays and spend some time with our families, where actually we could have spent less, maybe had shorter holidays, and spent more time with our families all year. I'm using these things because this is what Baal stands for. He's the god of fertility. He's the god of success. He's the god of victory in war. How many families, maybe within our own family, 
have seen families ripped apart by sexual infidelity. We're just going to look across our world and see the lust for money, for sex, for power, for profit, for war. It's there, isn't it? When a leader of Israel stands up, please, I'm not being anti-Zionist, I'm not being anti, I'm not anti-anything in this instance, but when a leader stands up and says it's time for war, it worries me. Because that's Old Testament thinking, not New Testament thinking. I know that leader is still under the Old Covenant, but it's time for war. So bomb the hell out of that hospital and kill as many babies and mums as you possibly can. Now, Palestinians shouldn't have done it the other way either. Nobody's right in that context, unfortunately. That's why you won't hear me pray that one will win and one won't. I pray for the peace of the land of Israel. Funny, that's what the Bible tells us to do. I can't, I can't be anti-Semitic. I'm partly Jewish myself. The Shedim are Baal and Asher and Molech. Colossians 1 says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. This is a high ecclesiology. This is how important the church is. Church doesn't matter anymore. We're not coming to church. We do church at home on our own with a couple of other people. Sorry. Paul just wouldn't recognise it. He wouldn't recognise what we do either. But he wouldn't recognise that. At least he would recognise us coming together. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might be the boss. Ultimately, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is fully God, and through him to reconcile to himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Don't move, stay there. Well, ah, well, ah, well done. Your evil behavior. So God, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And where is Jesus now? So what dwells in us? Yet is the place in order and swept clean? Or are we letting the Spirit of God fill our psyche, not just our spirit? Thank you. By, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. It's his physical body that reconciles us. No spirit. Evangelicals get too much. Oh, he's divine, he's divine, he's divine. No, it's through his physical human sacrifice that we are reconciled to Christ. 
reconciled to God, in order to present us holy in his sight, we're sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb, without blemish and free from accusation. If you, if, 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 little word, big importance, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from this hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Is there any more? Are we done? That's it. That's good. I thought it was. He's reconciled everything. Right. Back to Matthew. How is the deliverance of the house effected? Effected. How does it come about? But not just the name of Jesus, but the, the what? His, his blood. It's what's happened on the cross, yeah? So, you can be set free. Yeah? We as a body of believers can be set free because of the blood of Christ. On the cross, Jesus set free the whole but in potential the whole of humanity once and for all we say that don't we the sacrifice is once and for all and that doesn't mean once and for all back then it means once and for all now it doesn't happen for all because people reject What Jesus effectively did on the cross, not just at the individual level, not just at a corporate level, but at this cosmic level, was to rid our culture of the shedding. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. Were there false gods around in Jesus' time? Come on, Roman culture, Greek culture, further east, Hindu culture, multiple places with multiple gods. If you look at, it's astonishing, you look at the artifacts found in South America and in India and in um, China and Asia and that way, and how similar they all are. And the people didn't move about. But they were effectively worshipping the same gods. These Shedi. These Demonian. Stay with me. Since the cross in Western Europe, in Western civilization, in the if you want the Roman world and that which came from there, this deliverance has been working out. Yeah? So more and more people became Christians, more and more people became Christians. Eventually, Constantine became a Christian. The empire became Christian. Out it goes. Christian, Christian. And we then talk about Christendom. We get to the Middle Ages and we talk about Christ. Sorry about a little bit of a history lesson here. 
Christendom, yeah? And the Pope becomes the most powerful political person on the planet. That's a pain in the doodahs because that shouldn't have happened because he wasn't supposed to be the most powerful political person on the planet. It was supposed to be spiritual. There's another P. I won't say it out loud. He was a bit of a prawn. I can say that one. There you go. But Christendom. And the culture becomes very Christianized, doesn't it? Western law is based on Old Testament Torah. Until 60s, 50s, 60s. When laws started to change. The first laws against Christian ethics and morals came in in the 60s. And do you know, it doesn't matter what they were. Otherwise we'll get stuck on particular issues again. I don't want to go there. It's the general principle. But for nearly 2,000 years, the Christianization of culture happened. And that was a good thing. Most of the time. The way the West Christianized India and Africa and various places was not helpful. When David Livingston comes, I've come to bring, I've come to bring uh, Christ and capitalism to Central Africa. It's like, um, I guess you were 50%, right? There you go. Because, of course, you can't impose your cultural norms, you, but you can, impose, you can bring the Jesus mentality and mindset and then work it out in a different culture. But Jesus, effectively on the cross, has delivered culture of the shedding, Baal, Asherah, Molech. Let's just, just leave it at those three. So, if at some point we stop filling up the house with Christian things, what are those shedding going to do? Come back. And they're going to come back with seven mates. And I'm not going to blame capitalism. And I'm not going to blame communism. Because they're both at fault. And I'm not going to blame socialism. Or liberalism. Because they're both at fault. Nineteenth century rationalism. That's what our education system is based on. What about the scientism of the last hundred years? Science will find the answers. There's always going to be progress, isn't there? As an economist, I will tell you, the assumption is there's always growth. Why? Why? Why do we all always need more? Are we never satisfied? Well, we're not. Do you else is never satisfied? Bail. Always wants more sacrifices. Always wants more blood. I'll give you more. You'll have more profit. You'll have more 
fertility. You'll have more, you'll have more. One of my favourite phrases growing up, because I'm a child born in the 60s, educated in the 70s and 80s. First election I voted in was 1983. There you go. Didn't vote for the winning party for many, many years. Because even when I... Anyway, moving on. One of my favourite phrases, all things are relative. But that's what we were taught, wasn't it? Well, everything's relative. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and all things are relative. And it's so nice. And it's so inclusive. And it's so wrong. Because all things aren't relative. You can have an opinion about this, and I can have an opinion about that, and... You might like this music and I might like that, that music. Some of you support Chelsea, that's stupid. Uh, but, you know, all that sort of thing. Sorry, I didn't mention West Brom, we're okay. We got away with it. But the fact of Jesus is fact. It's not relative. Whether you believe it or not, it's still fact. Well, it's okay. If it works for you... Yeah, well, if it's working for me, and it might be true for me, that doesn't bode well for you. Think about it. I love my friends so little, I won't share the gospel with them just in case I upset them. Okay, condemn them to eternal death then, that's fine. You love your friends so little, you'd rather they spent eternity in hell than they got upset with you for sharing the gospel. Sorry, that's a bit... It's a bit pokey, that, isn't it? But it's true. Now, the golden calf we read about. Yeah? We read about in the psalm, didn't we? The golden bull calf. The same statue to the same dimensions and the same design sits at the entrance to Wall Street. What's the big thing in the American church that we in England don't like? What are the American church? It's all, it's all too much, isn't it? But, but what do they do? What's the big thing that we have to be careful? Come on, you, you guys have grown up through the church. What are we careful of? What do the American churches keep preaching? that we've got to be careful of. Prosperity gospel. Do you know why? Baal's got hold of the church in America and wants the money. And wants... The problem is, of course, does God want us to prosper? Yes. Does that mean financially? Not necessarily. <laughs> That's the problem. It's a piece of truth that has gone completely wrong. But you know what the Americans look at our church, you know what they think? Ugh. Ugh. Empty. Weak. Dull. Not just the Church of England. But they do. Talk to Jared Charlene sometimes. Not you personally. But they see our church and they, it's empty. Because Molech 
and Asherah and Baal have got hold of the church. One of the things Asherah does, I don't know if you knew this, is sometimes, so she's Mrs. Baal, and she's married to Baal. Um, or is she a, his sister? Or is she his wife? Or is she his sister? Answer, sadly, yes. But of course they're demons. And sometimes she presents as a man and as a warrior. And then she'll then present as a woman, sexual and alluring. And then as a man, and then as a woman. And she shifts her gender. I'll just leave that out there. We've all got people we know who struggle with that. But you ever thought it might be a spiritual warfare issue? I'm not saying you go up to someone who's struggling with that and try and do deliverance on them. Please don't. But if we saw it as a spiritual warfare issue, we might pray differently. If we saw it as a demonic action on the culture. So I don't want to deliver the people I know are like that, but I want, I want the culture to let go of them so they can be free to be who God's designed them to be. And we understand gender now as being, you know, there's lots of very female blokes around and lots of very male women around, and it's absolutely fine. But there's still a biblical binary understanding of gender. It, there is a spectrum, I know, but it's not the way culture is talking about it. But Jesus has already delivered the house. But we're not filling up on the truth. We're not filling up on his presence. We're not filling up with all the stuff we need. Which, by the way, he's already given us. To fill up on. Because he's already given you everything you need to live this godly and holy life. Do you get cross with the Church of England ever? Yeah? Whose fault is it? It's empty. Those who go to Church of England churches. And we can stand and go, oh, it's, it's, we're not doing this, we're not streaming. We go, oh, it's St. Michael's fault. You know, it's all St. Michael's fault, or it's all St. George's fault. Or we can go, it's the church's fault, isn't it? I wanted to sing some of the stuff we sang earlier because I want us to know the victory over all the earth. Let your glory fall in this room. Your reckless love that won't kick, won't kick down any lie. Won't, won't not kick, you know what I mean. To come after you and me. It's awesome. That's the song I learned, by the way. I've never played that before tonight. I was making you sing songs you didn't know so, from 300 years ago. Did you recognise them all? What's wrong? I just want to leave you tonight and we're not going to sing because I think we just need to go from here, just take a moment quiet and resolve to wake up and see what's going on.
Now, please, I don't want to get over, I don't want to push any of this too far. I don't want to go long distance with this. But if Matthew 12 is correct and works on an individual and a corporate level, then that replacing, that filling up the house is so... That's what it is, it's a fifth R. You do realise that, don't you? It's just the fifth R. Where do you get those five R's from? Well, they're just a useful shorthand. And here it comes again. It's the fifth R. It's filling the house. So when the demon comes back, it goes, whoa, I can't go in there. It's an arid place. It's full of God. It's full of life. Can't go in there. And then we keep the demons out. It's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. Do you get, do you get that? So I'm not going, uh, it's your fault, it's your fault. I'm not doing that. I'm saying, look. And the amazing thing is we have everything we need. We have every weapon we need. Anybody want to say anything? I've been mulling this stuff for a while. Some of you at PCC got a little taste. I told you there'd be more, didn't I? <laughs> and actually there's a lot more. But I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to go with that yet. You can ask any question you want. It's a perfect number. It's just... It's the Jewish understanding of, you know, it's a perfect storm, if you want. You come in, come in with the, you know, if it's empty, you're going to get blatted. Not one or two, you're going to get blatted. It's seven, it's the fullness. It's a... Every time you see a seven in scripture, there's normally something around fullness. Please remember God didn't create the earth in seven days. He did it in six. He rested on the seventh. Do you believe in a seven-day creation? No. Oh, oh, no, no, he did it in six. Oh. Anything else? Not at the moment. In that stuff, yeah, absolutely. Well, people in the world really don't recognise it because we start talking about the demonic, then we're demonising them, aren't we? <laughs> you know, that's what people are picking up on. But we're not. Syncretism. Anybody read The Christian Counterculture, written by John Stott? It's a, it's a doodle, it's a commentary on the Beatitudes, written in the 1970s. And Reverend Stott saw it coming. And the church went, la, 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 and did nothing about it. So it's uh, Bible Speaks Today um, commentary on 
the Beatitudes. It's called the Christian counterculture. It's not about selling things from your counter. One of the first books I ever read. And as an economics and politics student, it was like, whoa, this is dealing with cultural issues. Which then, of course, I, I forgot about because I'm too busy working with individuals. Anything? So let me pray. Then please, just take a moment if you need just to sit and burble. Uh, but if you need to get home, that's fine. Jesus, thank you. Thank you we are free from accusation. Thank you that you have established us. Thank you we are reconciled to the Father's love. And Lord, part of our culture individualizes that. So we go, yeah, isn't it great for me? Isn't it wonderful what God's done for me? And Lord, it is. And it's all about a personal, individual relationship with you. But Lord, help us see the wider picture. Help us see the perspective. Teach us more. Show us where we're, we've got sucked into culture. Where what we think is normal or what we think is Christian actually is of the gods, not of Yahweh, the Lord. Teach us, Lord. And we say no more. No more. We're going to stand for Jesus.